the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Thursday, November the 19th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on November 19th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln dedicated the National Cemetery, it became a national cemetery, at the site of the Civil War battlefield of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. I think most of us know that one of the most famous speeches, he made several of them, but one of the most famous speeches ever made, and certainly made by Abraham Lincoln, was given that day. It's called the Gettysburg Address. It begins with fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Then, as now, our nation stood on the brink of either becoming a great nation or finding its way into the dustbin of history. Abraham Lincoln recognized that. In fact, he said, my words may long be forgotten, although they have not been. He said that he said that this war, this battle, will be consequential. It was Abraham Lincoln who gave the famous speech as well about the divided house. And he drew from Jesus' words and said, A house cannot continue to be divided. Either one side will <clears throat> join the other or one side will be defeated, but it cannot continue to be divided as it is. Today in 2020, I'm not Abraham Lincoln, but I think most of us ordinary folks out here can recognize that our nation cannot go on as it is. The question that Abraham Lincoln was asking back in those days is whether any nation so conceived in liberty, so dedicated to the principles of freedom and liberty, can long endure, and equality, everybody having an equal opportunity not an equal outcome. That's what the Civil War was about. That's what the Great Divide in America today is about. And we are at that point. And we will see over the next coming days, weeks, months, hopefully not years, we'll see if this nation can continue as it was conceived. Because the side that is wanting to prevail in this election that's playing out before our eyes. They do not see America as Abraham Lincoln saw it, and as 73 million of us who voted for Trump see it. We don't see Trump as Abraham Lincoln, but we see we see the idea of how this nation was conceived under God in liberty and justice. We see that being trashed on every corner by the left. They have no regard for that, and they are not even restrained now in telling you so. 
They want to remake America. Barack Obama popularized that statement. Others say it in different ways, but it all comes down to the fact that many of them hate America. They want to make it into something very different than Abraham Lincoln believed in, George Washington, and all of us today in 2020. That's where we are. We are being tested, whether this nation or any nation, so conceived, can long endure. Today in 1850, Alfred Lord Tennyson was invested as Britain's poet laureate. He's often quoted. Today in 1942, during World War II, Russian forces launched their winter offensive against the Germans along the Don Front. My uncle was in that area during World War II, one of my uncles. Today in 1959, Ford Motor Company announced it was halting production on, guess what, the Etzel. The reason, they said, is because it's unpopular. Today in 1969, Apollo 12 astronauts Charles Conrad, Alan Bean, they made the second manned landing on the moon. And today in 1997, Iowa seamstress Bobby McCoy. She gave birth to the world's first set of surviving septuplets, four boys and three girls. Oh my. Today in 2017, Charles Manson, the hippie cult leader behind the gruesome murders of actor Sharon Tate, six others in Los Angeles, 1969, he died in a California hospital. He'd been in prison most all of his life, half century in prison. He should have been. I know that story well. I won't take the time to tell it today. I've told it before on this program. Uh, I knew his youth pastor very well. It's a it's a horrible story how Charles got so screwed up going from the youth group in Hollywood Press to Hollywood Presbyterian Church to what he became known as and what he was. He was a hippie cult leader burned out on drugs. Anyway, sad story. He died today. He was 83 years old. Five years ago today, a study by the Pew Research Center found that more Mexicans were leaving than moving into the United States. Now, that's talking about legal. They were rever- that reversed the flow of a half century of mass migration. President Trump announced this morning that he is going to be holding a press conference today at noon. This program originates at 9 a.m. live, as we are at this moment on the West Coast, of course, here in the Northwest. And um, so as we speak, don't turn off your radio, though. I'm going to tell you what they're going to say. They're holding a press conference, or it's about to start, I suppose. He's going to be talking about, or they are going to be talking about, I don't know if he'll be there or not, but we'll see, but that'll be happening But I could tell you, kind of, I think, what they're going to be saying, uh, some of the lawyers that will be talking there, I hope they're saying it. Alan Dersowich is a liberal law professor. He's a Harvard professor, Democrat, probably doesn't even want Donald Trump to be president, but he laid it out the other day, and I've been following this, and I'd pieced together some of this, but he's much better at it than I am, and I can tell you what the strategy is, apparently, It seems to be what they're following today. They're trying to find all of the flaws, and and there are many. I mean, there are myriad. There's thousands and thousands of irregularities in this last election. But Alan Dershowitz said last night, 
He said, the Trump campaign's legal strategy for winning the White House has to be through a number of legal challenges. Dershowitz said the strategy is to pull electoral votes away from Vice President Joe Biden. He said that's the only way they can do it now that they have time. He is a law professor. He said the clock is a double-edged sword in this election because they don't have enough time. But if they can put forward a sufficiently strong case, then they may be able to get some Republican secretaries of states or legislatures to say, look, we just don't have enough time to certify these electors. And if they can bring down the number of electors to, say, 35 to 37, we're talking about electors now, the Electoral College, from the 305 and bring it down to 267 or 268, then he said that would take the election would go to the House of Representatives. Now, the House of Representatives, this isn't I'm not just quoting him. This is me kind of interspersing with what he said. But anyway, I'm drawing from what he said. But anyway, if it goes to the House of Representatives, and that is probably the clearest path that Trump has, whether they'll expose that to the public today or not, I don't know, but I, I would think they will. But the clearest path that he has, because there are so many irregularities and it's just overwhelming, like Sidney Powell, the lawyer that I've mentioned several times in recent days, who's doing who's kind of leading the investigation of this Dominion voting systems, which is corrupt to the core. I am absolutely convinced of that. I've read so much about it. I paid a lot of attention. I invested a lot of time reading because I wanted to be sure because you tune in and listen, and I wanted to get it right, and I believe that I have and do on that subject. There are so many irregularities. There is so much fraud in this election, and maybe prior elections, I don't know, but in this one, that it would be impossible to process and litigate all of the irregularities or the fraud. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like trying to, you know, take a little dip in the ocean. I mean, where do you start? It's just amazing how much fraud there is that that's apparent. It's very visible. And the people working in these various states and counties around the country, they see it. And the, and the Democrats are covering it up and the Republicans are trying to expose it. And they're getting shot down on every, I mean, not literally so far, but verbally, they're getting shot down on every turn. So the, the path People ask, and they ask me, I get asked, do you really think Trump has a, a path or is there a, a possibility that he could still become president for another four years? Yeah, there is. And that's what, what I'm talking about right here. So the electoral votes is what we're talking about at the moment. So if they could bring that down to, and this is what Dershowitz, the point he's making, to 267 or 268, then the, the election would go to the House of Representatives. This is the way the Constitution lays it out. And so the, the Republicans are, my, my first response, and I'm sure it would be yours, would be, well, but the, the Democrats hold a majority in the House of Representatives. That's true, they do, numerically. But this is based on electoral uh, allocations. And so when you do the math on that and follow the formula that the Constitution lays out, the Republicans, by virtue of where they're from and all of that kind of thing, the Republicans would have the advantage by several points in the House of Representatives. So according to Dershowitz, he said the Trump team 
strategy has to be to pull enough electors away from Joe Biden. He said this, there will be a lot of reference, he thinks, to the Bush-Gore situation in the Trump campaign. He said if they can make their case and get it to the Supreme Court, he said Trump's team has to be focusing on the Equal Protection Clause. And their argument has to be that not all voters were treated equally because some had their ballots counted with an observer while others didn't. Some had rules set by other government officials and not the state legislatures, with the Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court would rule against. In order for these cases to make their way to the Supreme Court, Dershowitz said, he said the numbers have to be there, meaning the Trump team successfully has to pull electors away from Biden so the former vice president is no longer at the 270 threshold. The other option is for Trump's lawyers to provide hard evidence of the irregularities occurring with the voting machines. And that's where Sidney Powell is coming in. I've been talking about her the last, I mentioned quite a bit about her yesterday. She's all over this. She says she has the evidence that will overturn the election. She says that. And the people who know her, I don't know her, but I've got to know a lot about her. Um, the people who know her, including the head of the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, he said, I've practiced law with her. I know her. If she says she has the evidence, she has the evidence. So we'll see. But I would hope that they would bring this forward sooner than later. But nonetheless, I'm sure they know what they're doing. I'm not a lawyer, but I certainly have strong opinions, and I hope they succeed. I pray they succeed. But Dershowitz said he thinks that Trump has a pretty good chance of winning on one of these two paths because he said that is the path forward, so we'll see. Well, it'll be interesting to put what I've just shared with you up against what we hear from this press conference today, but hopefully hopefully there is a way, and I believe there is, because it just, Victor Davis Hanson was on with um, with Tucker Carlson last night, and or maybe maybe he he uh, he might have videotaped that. Sometimes I can get access to videotapes before they're played, actually on television. I've kind of learned how to do that over the years of doing this program. So he was either on last night. I didn't watch all of Tucker last night. I watched part of it. Or he's going to be on the the interview is 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 taped. But I I think it's going to maybe it's on tonight. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's saying on Tucker Carlson, he's saying that out of the need to do something. He said a lot of people are starting to react to these lockdowns. Victor Davis Hansen is a, a fantastic man. He's an intellectual among intellectuals. He is a true conservative, probably a Christian. He's with the Hoover Institution at uh, Stanford or Berkeley. And uh, I pay attention to him when he talks because he has something to say. He's mild-mannered, but he, he's deep. And has a lot to say, but he's he's saying on this interview, he said the people are are coming to a boiling point. He said there is there is he said I'm afraid we're going to have this massive civil disobedience because of them to have credibility they cannot be hypocritical. He was talking about the leadership, and he said they have to be disinterested, um, but they think of the marquee official like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. California Governor Gavin Newsom, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, all these people are making these lockdown demands on their states, and Nancy is doing it on the country, but yet she's running around getting her hair done. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson said they go to hairdressers, they put their kids in private schools, they go to restaurants, so they're asking the public 
to obey edicts that they themselves don't feel like applies to themselves. And when they apply to to uh, to protest all summer, and they say that's okay, he said we saw people out in the streets, no social distancing, no mask, no cleanser, spraying, screaming in each other's face, you know, whatever, Black Lives Matter and all that. He said, and we even had health professionals who signed a letter who said it's it's more uh, uh, destructive to the health of certain groups not to protest than to risk the virus. He said, to top it all off, when the media declared victory for Joe Biden and people threw health precautions out the window, nobody said a word. He's absolutely right. We are living in such a duplicitous time. It is so hypocritical. That's what Abraham Lincoln was addressing in his time in the Gettysburg Address, and we have got to address that today, and hopefully it will be addressed going forward. But it is so hypocritical today. The Gavin Newsoms, the Jay Inslees, who are shutting everything down. I mean, they're they're drunk on power, and I think they're out of ideas. And Victor Davis Hanson, in this interview, makes that point. He said, it's not just that they want power. He said, they certainly do. And he said they are given to that. But he said they don't have any ideas. They don't know how to solve the problems. They don't know the path forward. So they just keep locking down and taking away freedoms. That's all they know how to do. Plus, they are able to do it. But they don't even live by those edicts themselves. And he said that's, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said that's essentially why he sees America right at the edge of a boiling point. I do, too. I've said that, and I'm much less intellectual than he is. But, I mean, it's obvious. Mark Zuckerberg announced, I wanted to make you aware of this. He is talking about people who are full of themselves. He would get the blue ribbon on that. Mark Zuckerberg has announced that he's going down to Georgia. And he's going to ensure that Georgia, on this state... um, Senate race. There's two runoff uh, elections coming up on the January 5 that are very, very consequential. If the two Republicans win, the Republicans will retain the majority in the Senate. If the two Republicans lose, the Republicans will not retain the majority in the Senate. Should Joe Biden become president of the United States, which he kind of says he is already, and he isn't, everybody knows that, but it's like the emperor has no clothes. He keeps parading around and kind of running once in a while and kind of a shuffle to show people that he's he's very cognitively, you know, prepared. But, you know, if he should become president, I mean, there's there's a myriad of reasons why we should have heartburn, but one of them, one of them is that if the Democrats had control of the Senate, there would be no restriction on Joe, and even more importantly, on the people that he has surrounded himself with. He has surrounded himself with the most far-left people in any kind of leadership or elected office in our nation. The Bernie Sanders, the Elizabeth Warrens, These people have all run for president. Kamala Harris, vice presidential nominee, his pick. They've all run for president, and and their own party rejected them. 
They couldn't even win in the primary, much less win in a national vote. But they're going to be running the country. He certainly won't be. He'll stand up and make a few, you know, gasps and little sounds and deep thought and somebody will be prompting him in his ear. And I'm not saying that. I, I don't mean that in a destructive way. I mean it in a very deeply concerned way. There are moments when I look at that man and I feel sorry for him. He really needs to be doing something other than what he's doing now. He just isn't prepared for that. And if we all live long, long enough, we all get to that point. I mean, we do, but it becomes obvious. And it's got to be obvious, at least if not to him, to his wife. But they don't care. They're standing him up out there and pulling his strings. Because we are about to get, should he, be, should he actually become president, and be inaugurated as president of the United States. We are about to get the most far-left, anti-American, socialist, Marxist people that have ever been in office in the history of this nation. And that's why I'm concerned. Anyway, I wrote this article today about Mark Zuckerberg. He's going down to Georgia. He's going to straighten out the election down there. He's going to keep it, he says, safe. That's his word. He has putting, he's putting tens of millions of dollars into it through his several organizations that he set up. I go into quite a bit of detail on that in this article today. I titled the article, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, along with Mark Zuckerberg. The reason I titled it for that today, it's at faithandfreedom.us. I would encourage you to read it. Charlie Daniels passed away here a month or so ago, but great Christian, very very devout Christian, especially in his older years, very committed to the Lord. He and his family, great fiddler, and um, probably the best that ever lived. He wrote that song, and he wrote it, he says, and I've heard him say this, in fact, he wrote it, he said, he wrote it, he was supposed to be a lighthearted novelty, he said, about a fiddling contest between a country boy and the devil. And he said, I wrote it just as a parable, because the devil always loses. And that's what it was. But if you're not familiar with the song, the song says that the devil lost. But it says in the song, it says the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. And it goes through a number of verses. And then at the end of it, it, it says, if you're not familiar with the song, it says the devil bowed his head because he knew that he had been beat and laid the golden fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. Johnny was the boy. The prize was, if Johnny beat the devil, he got this pure gold fiddle. And if the devil beat Johnny, the devil got his soul. That's the essence of the song. But that is kind of, a, I thought, a parable or an illustration, <clears throat> kind of a parallel to, I'm not saying Mark Zuckerberg is the devil, but I am saying that the devil's going with him down there because he's going down there to influence that election, along with millions of dollars. And so I write, there's a lot of resource material in the article, and I would encourage you to take a look at it today. And I'd like to touch on just a couple of things from that, though. That's at faithandfreedom.us. His Center for Technology and Civic Life is one of the foundations, one of the nonprofits that he's set up. He and his wife, Priscilla Chan, donated $350 million to that, which they control. And it's all dedicated to safe elections. Most clear-eyed people in Georgia or out in California where he lives or wherever, they know this is just a disguise. It's just a charitable 
organization set up under the guise of good government, but it's nothing more than a partisan super PAC to get his far-left progressive way in place. Breitbart reported a couple of days ago that between September 1, 2020 and October 30, 2020, this uh particular organization that's owned by, it's controlled by Zuckerberg and his wife, CTCL. It contributed more than $16.6 million for safe elections in six Georgia counties. Of the six counties voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, based on currently available public reports, it appears that no Georgia county that voted for Trump in 2016 received any money from CTCL in 2020. Now, that's not surprising, but it's a fact, and it's important. Most of Joe Biden's 221,751 vote margin gain in, in Georgia, compared to Hillary Clinton's performance in 2016, came from three metropolitan Atlanta uh, uh, counties. They received more than $15 million from Zuckerberg's CTCL Safe Elections Project. Those three counties are Cobb, Fulton, and Gwinnett. They accounted for 168,703 of of Biden's 221,751 vote margin gain, or 76% of his lead there is gain. So over the last little while, while they've been counting, recounting, etc. So that's the backdrop on why Georgia has become important. The Senate race is very important. That's a separate election, but it's the same place and the same people are going to be handling the ballots. And Mark Zuckerberg knows that. So he's trying to set the stage down there to upend the Republicans, the two, in this election. The two people running against these two Republicans are way out there. In fact, the one guy is a pastor of Ebenezer Church, MLK's church where he grew up. And this guy is is advocating for reparations. He's I mean, he makes Jeremiah Wright, with whom he's a friend, Obama's former pastor, look like a conservative. This guy is way out there. I can't imagine that Atlanta and these counties would elect him, but it looks like they could. So that's a that's a, that's a an election that's coming up that's very very important. But these guys are are coming from the Obama administration into the Biden administration and into Zuckerberg's organization, Facebook, and they're all working in harmony. And I've laid all that out in this article to influence the election in these two Senate races, these runoffs on January 5, and of course continuing to work on controlling the election for the next president of the United States. It is not a good scene, but we need to be we need to be aware and informed. I want to take a moment to thank you for your support of this ministry. It's um, it's vital, and we need your support. So many of you are so regular. Every month you support us. I know your names. Some of you I, I know personally, but I know all of your names. I feel as though I, I know many of you personally. You write notes. I know you pray for us. You say you do, and I want to thank you for that. There are other paths that we could have chosen to do a radio program that would be, well, less resisted. But um, this is what God has called us to do, and I want to thank you for helping us with it. 
you make it possible. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow.